If you were not here last week, uh, we went through Acts chapter 3, and Acts chapter 3 is a pretty amazing chapter because a lot of the things that Jesus had done throughout the Gospels, which was healing people, um, was now being done by people other than just Jesus. It was actually Jesus through some of the apostles. We know that Peter and John were on their way to the temple because they were going to hang out for a three o'clock prayer session. So there's going to be a three o'clock prayer session uh, that's going on in the temple. And there just happened to be a guy uh, by the beautiful gate, uh, one of the nine or 10 gates there at the temple. Uh, And he was there pretty much every day. He was crippled basically from the moment he was born. He had never, ever walked. He didn't have those embarrassing, I'm learning to walk toddler moments where they stumble and look kind of like a, uh, <clears throat> yeah, a child learning how to walk. And so it never, his legs never gained the muscle. Uh, he never learned the coordination. And so after 40 years of not being able to walk, not being able to run, not being able to leap for joy day after day after day after day, He's placed by this gate of the temple, and he's begging for money. He's basically wanting a handout from one of the many people that will go into the temple on this day. But on this day, it would be different because the two men that would be walking into the temple around 250, 255 that day were Peter and John. And so they're walking in there for their prayer service, and he asked them for some money. And Peter looks at him and says, hey, man, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have, I will give to you. And if you were here last week or if you were attending online last week, you know that what he did have other than silver or gold was the power of Jesus. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, rise up and walk. And I always wondered, and I didn't mention this last week, but I'll just say it right now. It's not even in my thing, but I just wonder how that would have been received from the guy who'd been laying crippled for his entire life over 40 years. Get up and do something you've never done before. And so not waiting just necessarily for him to gradually do whatever, Peter then grabs him by the right hand, helps him up. And in the process of Peter helping him up, his legs grow full strength. His feet, his ankles, his knees, his legs, they not only come full strength, but God gives this man the ability to walk. Not only walk, because even that takes time to learn for people, uh, but he was able to run. He had the ability, the coordination to be able to run, and not just run, he was able to leap for joy, and he praised God uh, through the whole process. See, the faith that Peter and John had healed this man. Jesus healed this man through them because of their faith, and it changed his life forever. And I want to just realize this, that your faith, my faith in Christ can affect the people around you. It can. Uh, The words that you use, the attitude that you have, the way that you conduct your life, your time in God's word, your prayer life, your faith that God can do all things can affect the people around you. And for Peter and John, their faith that Jesus could physically heal this man was so strong that it actually healed this man. And I want to encourage everybody to pray in a way that you believe that God can, and then you can fill in the blank. I really, truly 
100% believe that God can, and then fill in the blank. And there's just a couple of things you got to remember. And the first thing is this, make sure your request is not selfish. Make sure your request is not selfish. And the second thing is make sure your request does not dishonor God. So if your request is either selfish or if it dishonors God, then you're asking God for the wrong thing. And when a man who has been crippled since birth is completely healed, it does what? It gets people's attention, right? Because who knew that this guy was crippled? Everyone. Everyone in the town knew that this guy was crippled. And so they all start showing up. It gets everybody's attention. It reminds me of Charlotte's Web uh, when Charlotte starts writing things in the web and, and they notice it. And who comes out? Everybody. Everybody from the town comes out. The newspaper comes out. And they start looking at Charlotte's Web and Zuckerman's famous pig, which it really was Zuckerman's amazing spider, right? And it is Peter who sees this as an opportunity. He's got the crowd. He sees it as an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he preaches. And as he does this, more and more people start believing. Now, keep in mind, this is the same Peter who on several occasions didn't understand the stories that Jesus was teaching. And he had to ask Jesus, could you please clarify? Could you explain that a little bit more? He needed some guidance. This is the same Peter who, along with some of the other disciples, tried to prevent children from getting to Jesus' lap. This is the same Peter who looked at the waves crashing around his feet, and he started to doubt and sink into the water before Jesus reached out to him. And I always point this out every time I mention that. Remember, he's the only one that actually got out of the boat, but he still lacked faith. This is the same Peter that, filled with selfish ambition, argues with some of the other followers of Jesus. Hey, which one of us is the greatest? Maybe not the greatest because we'll give that to Jesus since he probably is the greatest, but which one of us is second greatest? Which one of us is going to be second? This is the same Peter who, instead of just dropping down and worshiping the fully divine Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, actually opens up his mouth and starts suggesting things that shouldn't be suggested at that time. This is the same Jesus that rejects the notion that Jesus die at the hands of the others, which is needed to atone for the sins of the people. This is why Jesus came. And he's like, surely not. And you know, remember Jesus' response? He's like, away from me, Satan. That is foolish Satan talk. For you are thinking of things in human concerns and not the concerns of God the Father. This is the same Peter that at first refuses to have Jesus wash his feet as an act of complete servanthood, showing that true leadership is all about serving. This is the same Peter who falls asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane after Jesus told him to keep watch. This is the same Peter that on the early morning hours when Jesus would be arrested and crucified, would cower and deny he even knew Jesus in fear that it may cost him his life. Not once, not twice, but three times. And he actually curses in the process. I might cuss a little bit, and that may actually convince them that I don't know Jesus, because who knows Jesus would start just cussing. 
It just adds emphasis that he is not a follower of Jesus. This is the same Peter that feels that he is a complete failure and is overwhelmed by his own sin and that he retreats to his old way of life, his old work, and goes back to fishing. And the reason I mention all of these things is because mistake after mistake after mistake, and guess what? Jesus still loves him. Jesus still never gives up on him. And if you want to know anything about Jesus, is that no matter how many mistakes that you make, and no matter how many mistakes that I make, Jesus doesn't give up on you. And he can still do a mighty work through you. He still wants you to be a part of the church. He still wants you to be a part of the kingdom building process. He still wanted Peter to be the cornerstone. He wanted him to be the one who would actually start the church. Jesus would be the cornerstone and the foundation of this. And Peter is the person he would build his church upon. But he doesn't give up on them. It would be Peter that God would use on the day of Pentecost to lead out and to preach. And it was God's words through Peter that would pierce the hearts of so many people, over 3,000 people who would come forward, commit their lives to Jesus, and were baptized. And it is the same Peter who, along with the disciples, along with the apostle John, who see the opportunity to stand boldly for Christ and share a message of repentance and forgiveness And that's where we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to go through the chapter, uh, pretty much a good chunk of the chapter tonight. This is what it says in verse 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guards, and some of the Sadducees. Sadducees uh, were, uh, you know, had Pharisees and Sadducees. Sadducees didn't believe that anything supernatural happened, uh, which includes the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is what? Sad you see. It's sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Okay. All right. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them into jail until morning. But many of the people, now catch verse 4, so they're thrown into jail, but many of the people who heard their message believed it. And so the number of men, sorry, ladies, The number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. So in the midst of them being thrown into jail, the number of converts converts and believers continues to go up. So catch what happens. Peter and John, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the strength of Christ in them, do this amazing thing. They actually heal this man, and everybody is in awe. And life is better for this man when you can walk, right? We, most of us would say, hey, when I can walk, life is a little bit better. And when he was healed, life was better, but not everybody is a fan. Some are even upset and angry, and instead of there being praise and admiration, which was what we were doing, we'd be like, that's incredible. I mean, if we healed somebody in here and God healed somebody, we'd be like, wow, praise God, that's awesome. But instead of praise and admiration... They actually throw Peter and John into jail. And as a Christ follower, doing what God wants you to do isn't always going to be popular. In fact, the closer you get to Christ, the more you will resemble him, and you will not resemble as much of the world. And so it's important that we embrace adversity 
and expect criticism for doing good. Another way of saying it is your obedience to God may actually lead to opposition. Here's the problem with Christians today. And I hear it all the time, or a version of this, and it's been my perspective at times too, so I'm actually preaching to myself. But here's the problem. Here's the theology of many Christians. And it's when it's easy, it's godly. Or when it's easy, it's God's will. When life is handing you all the right cards, when you get the promotion, when neighbors are happy, when everything you do, uh, when your team is winning all the time, when your bank account looks amazing, when you purchase that thing that you've been wanting to purchase for a very long time, you're like, yeah, that's great. When you win the lottery, you can fill in the blank of whatever it looks like. And a lot of people are like, man, that's when God is doing his best work. People's response to it is, man, God is so good. Can't believe it. Everything just seems to be working out. And I only have to point out one of those to think that maybe that's not so accurate because if you watch the history of people who have won the lottery, most of those people are just jacked up. But let me crash the party a little bit. When life looks like that, it may not actually be God because God is way more concerned with you standing for his grace and truth than he is your bank account. God is more concerned with the souls of the people that you are trying to reach than he is the car that you are trying to purchase. God is more concerned with you standing up for what is right and what is godly than he is with your comfort. And there's going to be times in your life where standing up for Jesus is actually going to cost you something. You might lose your job because you're going to choose to do what's right in God's eyes rather than what's going to lead you up the corporate ladder or maybe skim on a few things to help the dollar of the company. You might lose a friendship or a relationship because you've decided that honoring God in your life is more important than compromising integrity or maybe even morality. And here's what happens. You may encounter times in your life where you actually get tired of doing what is good. Where it might just be easier to give in and conform to the pressures of culture. You look at where the world is going and you look at the difficulty of standing up against that and you're like, man, you know what? It'd just be easier to join the masses. God, in Galatians chapter 6, through Apostle Paul, says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. He actually knew this is going to be a problem. So he says, do not get tired of doing what is good. It might be easier. It might bring more instant gratification or worldly pleasure, but it does not line up with God. And if it does not line up with God and his desires for your life, it is not right, and it may cost you. And so, embrace adversity and expect criticism for following Jesus rather than the ways of the world. And so, Peter and John are thrown into prison, and it says, but more, many of the people who heard their message believed it, and so the number of believers continued to grow. In the midst of them getting thrown into jail, more and more people believed because they stood up for their convictions. They took a stand. 
And when we take a stand for our convictions in Christ, God can do amazing things. And so stand up for God's truth, not your truth, because your truth and my truth is skewed with a lot of different things. And I'll mention a few of those things that our uh, truth is skewed with. Uh, It can be skewed by your gender, your race, your age, your economics, your political views, your whatever it is. You look at life through a different lens, which is why I think marriage is so difficult sometimes, right? Why is marriage so difficult? Because you are different. Men and women are different, and it makes it tough. And I'm not saying go the different direction, but I'm saying what we do have in common, what makes marriage work, is when you have that common thread, that common passion and desire and love for Jesus Christ. And this is actually how the church can actually have unity is because of, because of that common love for Jesus Christ. And if you are going to stand up for something, stand up for what is important to God. And Peter and John do exactly that, but it actually lands them in jail. But what happens when they do? The church explodes. And so verse 5 continues. It says, The next day the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas. Now Caiaphas, uh, I think uh, Annas is like his uh, son-in-law. I may be wrong on that, so don't quote me. We'll zap that out of our online whatever. Um, John, Alexander, and the relatives of a high priest They brought in the two disciples and they demanded, by what power or whose name have you done this? (laughs) Sounds like they're angry for a man being healed. Now, I I want you to notice something here real quick, and that's the Christian response. Notice what Peter and John did. They conducted themselves in a godly way. They conducted themselves in a godly way. They didn't start cussing and screaming and yelling at the rulers of the law, crying out because they had been thrown into prison. In fact, most every time one of the apostles is thrown into prison in the book of Acts, and I think it happens three times, I may be off off on that, but every single time it seems like God does something absolutely amazing. And what did they do when every time they got thrown into prison? They saw it as an opportunity to share Jesus. Wouldn't it be amazing as if when life threw you just a curveball, you looked at it as an opportunity to share Jesus? I mean, I have a friend, John, in Kentucky, and his wife got cancer. They thought she was going to die. They took her to the hospital, and she just started to reach people for Jesus. She's like, I may die, but if you died right now, you're going to be lost forever. And I think now, I think up until this point in time, over 80 people have been led to Jesus through that encounter. I'll have to ask John what the current number is. But they handled themselves. They looked at it as an opportunity to share Jesus. In fact, Paul and Silas, a little bit later in the book of Acts, took the opportunity to worship God in their jail cell. And when God opens the cell doors, they don't run out. What do they do? They just lead the jailhouse leader commander to to Christ, him and his family. They baptized all of them. And so here's the response from Peter. 
in verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, he shows them respect. Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. The man who you, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. You want to know by what name this man was healed? Do you want to know why, by whose power this man was healed? Is the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And then he actually quotes the Old Testament because there is one thing that Jewish leaders know, and that's the Old Testament covenant. And so, but he does this because it's actually going to help gain traction with the message that they're giving to a bunch of Jewish people. And make no mistake, it is only through the healing power of Jesus that this man is healed. And not only in this healing only, because catch verse 12. He says, there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Only Jesus. There is salvation in nobody else. This is the message of Christianity. So when people ask you about heaven and hell and about eternal life, you can say without any hesitation that salvation is found in no one other than Jesus Christ who died for your sins and was raised to life to bring it all to full completion. And it is available to everybody who believes. Everybody who accepts it. Verse 13 says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They look at Peter and John as ordinary men. The Greek in this is idiotes, which is where we get our word idiot. But they look at these guys and they say, man, these are just fishing dudes from Galilee. They are not schooled men. Because, and they're just basically talking about, man, the accents of these guys. It's like they're from the lake. And I don't know what that sounds like, but I do know what it sounds like when you talk to somebody south of the Mason-Dixon line. I do know what it sounds like when you talk to somebody that's from Boston in fact, one of my favorite people from Revive uh, is Sandy Newsom. Sandy's health is declining uh, right now, but her Boston accent is so strong. You know, she talks to Sarah and I, and I'm like, I didn't catch that. Can you say it again? She'd be like, water blah, blah. I'm like, water what? She'd be water blah, blah. I'm like, what's a water blah, blah? It's, it, it, it's just the water fountain. I'm like, okay. She's like, lobster. I'm like, okay, I know that one. So a few years ago, we got Sandy a shirt on New Year's uh, that said, Happy New Year. Um, let, me, let me let you in on a little secret about Peter and John. They were not ordinary men. They were not unschooled. They were different because they had just spent the last three years through the most intensive seminary program ever because they spent all their time with the teacher who was teaching about his father. And if anyone knows the father, it was going to be the son. And before the son left to be with the father, he said, tell everybody about your seminary 
experience, especially the last 50 days of class, which would cover the death and resurrection and the 40 days until he ascended into heaven. Because those are so important. Verse 13 continues, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And let me ask you a question. If people hung out with you for a little bit of time, would they recognize you as someone who has been spending time with Jesus? When people spend time with me, do they recognize that I've been spending time with Jesus? Your children are getting a glimpse of Jesus when they watch you, or are they getting a different kind of lesson? We have a huge opportunity to show people Jesus by the way that we conduct our lives. But they recognize that Peter and John were men that had been with Jesus. And I, I always tell parents, if you want to know what your kids think, just ask them without saying anything else. What do you think is most important to dad? What do you think is most important to mom? And then just sit back and let them talk. You may get a really, really big dose of reality. Here's verse 14. But since they could see the men, the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. Could you imagine you're trying to be angry with these guys, but the guy who has been healed is standing, standing right here? Not sitting, not laying down. He's standing right there. And so they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber, and they conferred among themselves. And so they ordered Peter and John out of the chamber to figure out what to do. We don't know what to do. What should we do? So we're going to start asking ourselves. In verse 16, it says, what should we do to these, with these men? They asked each other. We, don't, we can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. Now, I always wonder this, and I don't know if you thought about this. If Peter and John are not in the chamber, how in the world what was being said inside the chamber? Have you ever thought about that? Here's what I believe. I believe that people inside that chamber were eventually converted that they eventually would be converted and become a believer, and we would get the understanding of what took place inside the chamber. But to keep them, um, but to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. And so they called the apostles back in and they commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. All right, well, there we are, right? If they just don't share anything about Jesus, this Jesus guy, everything's going to be okay. Enjoy your life, folks. Enjoy your many blessings, but make sure you don't give any credit to Jesus. Watch God answer your prayers, but make sure you don't mention Jesus in the process of being thankful. And so a guy got healed. Hey, just don't mention, don't speak of or teach in the name of Jesus, okay? And I think when we say it like that, we kind of giggle and laugh because it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And yet, 
I think that's what a lot of Christians do. We don't give the credit to Jesus. We don't do enough or have enough conversations or Jesus stories. You get a job, who gets the credit? A child is born, besides mom, does God get the credit? You get into your house, does God any, get any credit for that? And I love Peter and John's response, and if you didn't catch anything through the whole sermon, I hope you catch this. Because here's Peter and John's reply when that's the request. Don't say anything about Jesus, you'll be okay. And they said, do you think that God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. That's awesome. This isn't going to be up there, but I'll read you the next uh, couple verses. It says, the council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for his miraculous sign, the healing of the man who had been lame for more than 40 years. So let me close with this because I believe this is a big issue in our culture and our, even our churches and Christianity today. You will either conform to God or you will conform to the world. You will either listen and abide in what God says or you will be embracing what the world is throwing your direction. And this is why it is so important for us to be in God's word and know what it says because we need to know when it is lining up with what's being pushed your direction and when it contradicts. So if something's being preached your way, even by a preacher, if somebody is worshiping and they're singing a song, you need to know if it lines up with Scripture. And when the world starts going in a certain direction, you need to know, is the direction it's going, does it line up, does it honor God? And so my prayer is this for you and for me, is that when people spend time with you, do they recognize you as someone who has spent time with Jesus? When you stand before God on the day of judgment, that you can stay, say that you chose to obey your heavenly Father rather than men. And the ever so shifting culture. And I will share this real, real quick with you. Because I've had several families that have left the church because we wouldn't change our theology. And I have tried very kindly and lovingly to tell them, hey, look, I, I understand that it's hard, but I have to stand before God someday, and I have to tell them that I either chose to abide by him and his word or men. And so are we going to obey him, or are we going to be obedient to where the world is going? And the third is this, that you will see people the way that Christ sees people, whose eternity, I pray that you'll see people in heaven whose eternity is different because of your influence on them. Maybe the words that came out of your mouth, maybe the way that you conducted your life, maybe you invited them to church, but even more importantly, you had Jesus conversations with them. 
you're able to share your faith. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. We thank you for a faith that was so strong that through these men, you were able to do healing. And even in, during that time of what we would consider opposition, you were able to do amazing things. And I pray that we will see life just a little bit different and know that, man, maybe when things are not going the way that we would, had hoped, maybe you're doing an amazing work at the same time. So help us to stand strong for your truth. Help us to stand strong for the things that are important to you. Help us to be a church that never neglects what honors you. And all the while, we try to share you with as many people as we possibly can. And we'll look for those opportunities, no matter what it looks like. And let's ask in your name.